We are recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We wish to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening. Hello and welcome to Novel Feelings, where two psychologists take a deep dive into your favourite books. I'm Priscilla. And I'm Elise. This is episode five, the penultimate episode of season three. And today we are reviewing My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Otessa Moshvig. This might just be our spiciest review ever, (laughs) overtaking our Fight Club review from season one, I think, which is probably holding the spice level championship at the moment. But I think this is going to get, I think this is going to push that out of the top spot. just might get a little heated yes <laughs> <laughs> but more on that later <laughs> yes um in case you are new to the podcast um as usual we'll post our book club discussion questions to our website novelfeelings.com where we keep all of our detailed show notes um to keep up to date with us remember to follow us on social media we are at novel underscore feelings everywhere our reading challenge is up on the story graph and Instagram. Thank you to everyone who's been adding books to the prompts. It's really nice to click into a prompt and see. Definitely. And we're probably overdue for an update of how we're going as well. So maybe we'll post something to Instagram in the next couple of weeks. (laughs) Yes. I'm like, oh, how is my reading going? (laughs) (laughs) I may have fallen off the bandwagon again um, a little bit, but we shall see. Yes, we will indeed. And we will announce our November book at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. But first, uh, hey, Priscilla, how would you rate your week on a five-point scale? Um, I've been trying to think about this. I would say, I guess, three out of five nights of overtime. Mm. <laughs> it's just, there's just been a lot of work, or am I just not working efficiently enough because I always end up with like oh no I have to finish this case notes or oh my god this email that I have to reply to it sounds stressful anyway and I hope you get some downtime soon whatever that might look like thank you what about you Elise how would you rate your week on a five point scale Uh, I did some low level maths to figure this one out so I'm going to rate it (laughs) 3.3 out of five thesis chapters (laughs) or more precisely six out of nine thesis chapters to track my writing progress. Um, (laughs) For those who might not be familiar, I'm doing my PhD at the moment and it is crunch time. So I am right in the midst of hardcore writing time. I am making progress. The whole thing is currently due in January. Um, Mm -hmm. Worst case scenario, if I can't make the January deadline, I'll probably be able to get an extension, but I'd like to try to make the deadline so it doesn't go on for too long. Uh, But yes, I have three more chapters to write properly. So the others are at least at the full draft stage. But yeah, Mm, we're we're getting there. (laughs) That's really good work. Thanks. Um, I can imagine that would be stressful as well. It's not necessarily the fun kind of writing, is it? No, I I would not say so. No, it's more of the academic kind of writing, but it is what it is. I chose to do this, so I can't complain too much. (laughs) You volunteered, so. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, anyway, speaking of five point scales, please remember to rate and review us. If you leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, we will give you a shout out in a future episode. Uh, we just wanted to highlight a previous review we received from the Mere Mortals podcast, who said Priscilla and Elise have a strong emphasis on promoting good mental health, and doing it through the medium of books is a cool way of going about it. Thank you so much. We really appreciate the review. Absolutely. And now, before we get started on our review, here are our usual disclaimers. Each episode has two parts. We'll start with the non-spoilers, and then we'll dive into the spoilers. We'll flag when we're about to go into the spoilery bits. This podcast should never be taken as therapeutic advice. We are speaking today as psychologists and book lovers, not necessarily from lived experience of the topics covered in this book. If you have any of the lived experiences covered in this book, please do let us know what you think. A little bit more about the author. So Otessa Moshfeg is a fiction writer from New England. Eileen, her first novel, was shortlisted for the National Book Critics Circle Award and the Man Booker Prize and won the Penn slash Hemingway Award for debut fiction. My Year of Rest and Relaxation, the topic of today, Death in Her Hands and Lapvona, her next three novels, were New York Times bestsellers. She's also the author of the short story collection Homesick for Another World and a novella Magloo. She lives in Southern California. And here's a summary of the book. A novel about a young woman's efforts to duck the ills of the world by embarking on an extended hibernation with the help of one of the worst psychiatrists in the annals of literature and the battery of medicines she prescribes. Our narrator should be happy, shouldn't she? She's young, thin, pretty, a recent Columbia graduate, works an easy job at a hip art gallery, lives in an apartment on the Upper East Side of Manhattan paid for, like the rest of her needs by her inheritance. But there is a dark and vacuous hole in her heart, and it isn't just the loss of her parents or the way her Wall Street boyfriend treats her. It's the year 2000 in a city a glitter with wealth and possibility. What could be so terribly wrong? Many things it will turn out. Uh, so... Mm-hmm. Why did we choose this book? Uh, this is a best-selling novel with a lot of buzz around it. I think the the young kids would call this a TikTok book or a TikTok <laughs> sensation. A I'm not talk. on TikTok, so <laughs> I'm not on BookTok. Um, yeah. So I I don't really understand, but I sure. Um, this was also recommended by our friend Amy as part of another book club that we're a part of, and I thought it'll be interesting to cover since. Well, we knew it was going to be covering prescription drug use slash misuse. And I was fascinated by the quote unquote worst psychiatrist in the annals of literature. So yeah, that's why we thought we'd dive into it. I didn't really know a lot about this book before I started. So now I do, and we will talk about it shortly. (laughs) Yes, we will. (laughs) Um, Here are some content notes for today. Um, We are going to talk about prescription drug use bad, bad psychiatrists, (laughs) depression, unhealthy friendships and sexual relationships, privilege, escapism and avoidance, and September 11 attacks. Mm. So please only listen today if it feels right for you. Now we will start part one, our non-spoilery discussion and review. 
First of all, we're going to talk a bit about the first half of the book in this section. So the setup for the novel, the main characters, and a little bit about the main character's background. Uh, the main character is not named, so what should we yep. call her? The the narrator, the MC, the, the protagonist, MC. the MC. All right, that's <laughs> that's how I refer to her in my head. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> All right, our MC slash main character. Yeah. Uh, so I guess just as a first observation, uh, my year of rest and relaxation is a very character driven novel. So very much about uh, the MC from her perspective she decides to take a year off her life to reset after a bit of a tough time in her life. So essentially she quits her job, shuts out most people she knows, essentially tries to sleep through the year by taking as much prescription medication as possible to induce drowsiness, um, trying to be conscious as little as possible. Uh, And this has all come Mm -hmm. about after I guess like a bad time at work, not really feeling fulfilled, um, quite being quite, mm. how would you put it? It's like fed up with the art world that she's in. Yeah, and the death of her parents as well. Yes. Yeah. But after quite a complicated relationship with her parents, particularly her mother who was definitely abusive um, mm. and how would cruel? you describe that? yeah cruel yeah. <laughs> she was very cruel very superficial yeah. um a lot of traits that our mc has perhaps picked up as well yeah absolutely yeah it feels like she essentially wants to dissociate for life from life but like forcing her way into dissociation instead of the way people normally experience dissociation yeah, where it's, it's weird. not necessarily yeah. a choice. Yeah, it's it's it's. I cannot believe this book has put me off the idea of how lovely sleep is. <laughs> you know how when you're a tired adult, you're always like, I just want to sleep a little bit more. Yeah, and this has officially put me off the idea of like sleeping more. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> well, like we should, you know, we should flag that it's pretty clear to the reader. Um, not just, I don't think it's just us being psychologists and looking for diagnoses or anything, but it's pretty clear that the MC is experiencing symptoms of depression and a lot of her experiences are impacted by, I guess, sort of long-term effects of trauma as well, particularly with her relationship with her parents um, and mother. But, you know, some of the symptoms that the MC has of depression, I'd say probably fall more into the feeling numb category and the feeling nothing category rather than sort of feeling mm. sad and that sort of depressed mood side of things. It's more more about wanting to avoid the, the feelings that she's having, if any, yeah. Um, yeah. and sort of leaning into that numbness and that feeling nothing and mm. avoiding reality um, because of yeah. the pain of everyday existence. And and there's definitely the um, loss of pleasure or loss of motivation that can come with depression as well. Mm. She just doesn't seem interested in anything anymore. Yes. And, you know, it's right there in the title of the novel. She's going to take a year off, um, a year of rest yeah. and relaxation and reset and see what happens at the end of it. And the way she chooses to do this is through sleep Um should comment as well that oversleeping can be a symptom of depression as well, symptoms mm-hmm. of hypersomnia. 
some people experience insomnia, so have trouble sleeping. For her, it's more the other way around, so sleeping much, much more than usual, being tired and fatigued all the time, but also wanting to keep sleeping and wanting to sort of perpetuate that as well. And it's sort of, it's also linked with her feelings of, I guess, attachment to reality. So there was a quote in here as well, I see. So this is how I knew the sleep was having an effect. I was growing less and less attached to life. If I kept going, I thought I'd disappear completely, then reappear in some new form. This was my hope. This was the dream. So yes, hibernating with the idea of something good coming at the end of it. Yeah. And also avoiding her emotions. I Mm. think, I can't remember the quote, but she was talking about how she had an emotion and then she got tired because the emotion was so Mm. unbalancing, I suppose. Yes. Yes. And so there are certainly, what's the word, valid representation here of depression but I just don't like her (laughs) it's it's just I I I find her so cruel and so unrelentingly nasty especially towards the second half of the book yes I I agree and like she's a very judgmental character she's very superficial and vain as well and yeah her interpersonal style with others um if it's not outwardly nasty it's also inwardly nasty um Mm. the way that she perceives and treats perceives so thinks about other people and the way that she treats other people is quite horrible throughout the book and Look, she does have some sympathetic elements. Um, You know, we can see how her experience of trauma from her mother and some of the elements of her pretty unhealthy slash gross relationship with the Wall Street boyfriend Trevor Mm. can contribute to how she thinks and feels. But that doesn't necessarily make her a three-dimensional character. No, it doesn't feel how do I put it? It's it's like there's no shred of, this is not the right way to put it. It's like she's almost not human because of how horrid she is. Like there's like no. it's over the top. Yeah. It's like there's no flicker of, oh, you know, my friend is grieving her, you know, her mother, for example, or, uh, I can't say any more without this going into spoiler <laughs> territory, but there's just like, there are moments where I would think that it would stir something sympathetic mm-hmm. from her towards her best friend, like the only person in her life, really. But there was none, none of that. And I think, like, I know she's intended to be that way, why (laughs) I just you know I don't see I don't what did I say to you I am not interested in her as a character yes I think that's just it I have a lot of thoughts on this subject and I'm not like the most idealistic reader in the world I do like light and fluffy stuff I like a heartwarming story but I also sometimes read darker things um you know I've read plenty of psychological thrillers, crime fiction, unlikable protagonists, anti-heroes, 
I've read books like A Clockwork Orange, for example. Um, I don't mind like horror movies and so on. Like I don't think that a main character has to be likable or moral to be interesting, but there was something about this particular character that just put me off and I found it quite difficult to read her perspective um, as the story went along. Yeah. We will go into more of that later in the star <laughs> ratings, I think. Otherwise, we'll get all of our thoughts out of the way. I know. Immediately. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, but I did just want to make a comment about her choice to use prescription medications um, as part of her year in re- of rest and relaxation. And look, just to flag that as psychologists, we are not medical doctors. Um, for those who are not familiar, there's not an overlap between being a psychologist and a medical doctor. You, you could potentially study both, but we, mm. we don't have that training. So we can't talk about medication a lot. We can only talk about it at a very high level. And I guess I should mention that most people who experience addiction to prescription drugs do not choose to rely on them. There are a lot of very real issues with overprescribing not sharing enough information about side effects and and risk of addiction, for example. But a lot of the times it's not a choice. It's just something Mm. that unfortunately does happen. Um, People might slip through the cracks and so on. From the flip side of that is that prescription medications can be useful for helping manage things like depression and insomnia um, as the MC experiences. But best practice involves a combination of approaches, not just relying on medication. So, for example, it might be a combination of medication and therapy that might be recommended, like an evidence-based therapeutic approach. We're going to talk about the psychiatrist shortly, (laughs) but I guess... Where am I going with this? I suppose I just don't want readers to come away from it thinking that prescription medications are only used by wealthy people who are yeah. trying to abuse the system. There are pros and cons of medications, but there's definitely more nuance than that. Yes, and it can certainly be handled much more responsibly from both sides, I think. Yes, I agree. And there is stigma around taking medication for mental health too, so uh... I don't want to be... I don't, I don't want people to believe the stereotypes about no, prescription meds. It's very, yeah, it happens all the time, I think. And mm-hmm. like you said, you know, prescription medications have their place in mental health treatment. It just has to be balanced um, and, yeah, done responsibly. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so... <laughs> I'm sure we're going to be coming back to the yes. MC soon. Um, I, I think we're both holding back as like, oh, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> the spice has just gone from like zero to maybe mild. Like if we're looking at the Nando's level of spice, yeah. we're, still on, we're still on the mild level. We've gone yes. from like lemon and herb to mild. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, let's, let's chat about Reva, who is the MC's only friend who is treated very poorly by the MC throughout the book. So Mm. it's a very one-sided friendship where Reva is the only one, I guess, sustaining it in any way. Yeah, Mm. She's the person who's reaching out, putting effort into checking on the MC, seeing how she's going and just maintaining that friendship in any, really. And I think we should flag as well that that's not just because the MC is depressed or embarking on this hibernation from the history that we get, this seems like a pattern in their friendship mm. since the beginning, really. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like the MC struggles to maintain or to, to 
bother to form any sort of mm. meaningful friendships as well, um, which is I can understand why people might not want to spend a lot of time yeah. with her considering how she treats other people. So mm. it, is, it does seem to be a bit of a pattern where she's just pushing people away. But why does she even keep Reva around? Like, she, I guess she must serve a purpose in her life. Uh, probably yeah. the only person who's checking on her or aware of what she's doing. So I suppose there might be a almost a safety mechanism in there to have one person who checks in on you. Or yeah. maybe maybe it's because Reva doesn't go away. Mm. Reva is just persistent and is willing to be treated poorly by other people. Yeah, maybe at some deep, deep, deep level, the MC does care about her, but it certainly doesn't come through while she's conscious anyway. Mm. So I think she yes. does some things. She does some things while she's under the influence that would make us think that she cares at some level. But yeah, the way she talks or thinks about Reva is really really bothered me mm. bother me mm. especially as Reva is dealing with grief at the death of her mother as well and I'd say the MC has extremely little sympathy for what Reva's going through and just sees her grief as being an annoyance um yeah if anything yeah I just I hate the way Reva is treated by the narrative mm. as well, but we'll get to that in the spoilers. Yes. yes. Mm. I will say that it, it is an interesting contrast between what we see of Reva's grief for her mother compared to the, I suppose, more complicated grief that the MC feels for her mother after her mother's death um, because yeah. of that abusive relationship. And, you know, one thing the MC is dealing with is not not being comfortable selling the family home, for example, even though there's, only really negative memories that are attached to it that sort of unwillingness to to sell it um yeah there is a bit of there's a bit of a contrast there that is mildly interesting I yeah. suppose <laughs> yes um, absolutely yeah the other character trait that is worth mentioning for Reva is the fact that she's going through ongoing challenges with dieting and weight loss and disordered eating so Reva has symptoms of bulimia nervosa binging and purging we don't see a lot of it, I suppose, on the screen, but we get the MC's experience of it and her perceptions of it. And again, treated with very little uh, compassion, what she's going yeah. through. Yeah. And the MC yeah. too. We hear multiple times throughout the story how beautiful she is, how thin she is, <laughs> even when she's at her absolute lowest points, you know, she still takes solace in the fact that she remains attractive and she remains thin even though she's not looking after herself like her physical appearance in any way yeah yeah I mean I I just like I saw that as a level of detachment from reality because like how often would she have showered throughout this year <laughs> you know or like she's eating terrible food or like barely any food like this like I don't know, like the sort of physical havoc that that would have wreaked on her would not have maintained like a glowing, you know, <laughs> quote unquote pretty, you know, appearance. Yeah. So even if she has attractive facial features, like she's yeah. probably not going to be looking her best, but she's still, <laughs> there's still that level of vanity that is overlaying 
mm. the way that she sees herself. Yeah. Which, yeah. I don't know. We know she's detached, but <laughs> she's also very privileged. So Yeah. I I don't deny that she probably is, <laughs> you know, thin and young and beautiful and she's got, you know, lovely clothes and all that. But yeah. <laughs> That's not why people aren't friends with you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, poor poor Reva doesn't really get much of a prop to, proper character arc either. No. Um, but we'll come back to Reva in the spoiler section. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's chat about the character that <laughs> I want to say bothered us the most. <laughs> <laughs> I was less bothered by the psychiatrist than I was by the MC, but for Look, different Claire, reasons. Yes, I think maybe not bothered, but like the most... <laughs> like cartoonish character in this book yes that's a good way to put it yeah um dr tuttle so the psychiatrist that the mc seeks out to get a constant barrage of prescriptions of everything Mm. she can get her hands on really so why is she one of the worst psychiatrists in the history of literature um well she's not practicing evidence-based medicine she prescribes first and thinks second, if she thinks at all. Um, she mm. lacks, I guess, a modern base, a modern understanding of psychology and psychiatry. Um, she forgets things about the MC, including some really big details of her life, and yeah. just really lacks any kind of person-centred approach. Mm-hmm. I think the line that stuck out in my head is that she was like, uh, this is not by far the worst thing she said, but she was like, anxiety is directly proportional to your level of education. <laughs> I think I was like, is that why I'm anxious? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm sure that's not it. <laughs> uh, just too, too educated, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, like we know the psychiatrist is purposefully written as a bad psychiatrist like there's Mm. no way that the author is writing the psychiatrist pretending or thinking that this is how most psychiatrists act no I think yeah that's why she feels very cartoonish and in that way not like I don't get outraged about the poor representation of (laughs) mental health professionals because it's like this person surely does not exist to this extent Mm. like I'm sure yeah I'm sure there are psychiatrists who lack understanding of the nuances of mental health. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) You know, lack that sort of person-centered approach and forget things. But, yeah, there's just a level to Dr. Tuttle that's just, wow. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know, she's just a kind of combination of the worst possible characteristics that you can get in a mental mm. health professional. At one point she picks up the phone while she's on the toilet. Like, yeah. It's just so over the top. I know. And she just, I think the first time the MC called her, she was like, are you from the CIA or the FBI? <laughs> or, And then she listed all of these organizations. So... I think the MC stuck with her for this reason that she's not a very good psychiatrist who's not going to care about how the MC takes the medication and she would just keep writing prescriptions. Yeah, it was definitely on purpose that the MC kept seeing her Mm. and, you know, lying to her as well, constantly lying about how she's feeling and what her symptoms are and 
changing her own story to make herself seem more, I guess, mm. sympathetic at times. Not that it really mattered. I feel like Dr. Tuttle would have just prescribed her anything she wanted and then yeah. thrown in some experimental drugs while she's at it. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. She, but she also fails to pick up on the MC's lies to try to get mm. more prescription medication as well. So I don't know. I mean, mental health professionals aren't mind readers, but I feel like the MC's stuff was very over the top that if this were real life and Dr. Tuttle had any shred of professional competence, I feel like there would have been some alarm bells that were going yeah. off. <laughs> yes, surely. But I shred. Also how- <laughs> I shred. It's just like, how do you forget that your patient's mother is dead after being told four times? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I might forget, if you know, when a child client has gone to camp and I'm like, oh, when's camp happening last week? You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. But I wouldn't forget if they've lost their parent. Yep. I know, right? <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, so, mm-hmm. yes. I guess those three are probably the only real main characters. There are a couple of secondary yeah. characters as well. But, yeah, we'll, they'll, we'll weave them in as we go through. Um, but what did you think about the structure of the book? So mm. this book has a combination of flashback chapters and the chronological year um, of the, the year of rest and relaxation. So yeah. we get a little, we get uh, the MC's backstory um, while we also see what she's going through to try to hibernate through the year. So what did you think about these two styles of chapters? Well, I was listening to the audiobook and I found that I tune in a bit more when it was the flashback chapters. Mm-hmm. I think they were just more interesting because they shed some light on why the MC is the way she is. Mm-hmm. And I thought, ooh, depth, character. <laughs> you know, so this is why she's like this. Um, I like having that understanding and seeing the dynamic of the family in which she grew up. But even then, even her parents felt like caricatures to me at times. You know? Um, And I guess to an extent, you only see them through the MC's um, eyes and she doesn't have a great understanding of them probably because of the way they treated her. So I don't feel... I don't judge those chapters as harshly, I guess, as I do the chronological year. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, what about you? Which one did you prefer? Yeah, similar. I found the flashbacks a bit more interesting than the present day part. Um, Mm. I mean, the novel, it doesn't really have much of a plot. It's very character-driven, which normally doesn't bother me too much, but I guess in this instance I didn't really find either of the chapters to be particularly engaging um the flashbacks a little bit more I'd say mm-hmm. I don't know I went in with high hopes I should say that as well <laughs> I'm like this is a really popular book for a reason right and yeah anyway completely right. dashed <laughs> <laughs> so okay so keeping it brief and without spoiling the second half did you learn anything from the book and how did it make you feel <laughs> hibernation isn't useful for humans <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, I think in the beginning I was just a bit meh 
And then as it went on, I was like, why do I care? Why should I care about this? And then there were moments where I actually went, well, that that is crossing a line and I would have DNF'd this if it wasn't for this podcast. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, fair enough. What about Um, you? Yeah, I don't I don't really feel like I learned anything from the book. It just made me feel frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> um all right, so uh, let's just do our reviews and star ratings, I think. Yep. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. We've got opinions. Um, Yes. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, in case you haven't gathered it yet, I didn't really like this book. Um, I gave it two out of five stars, which I think is my lowest rating yet. Um, Yeah. Though I have a tendency to have more middle middling ratings, I mm-hmm. um it's very rare for me to rate something one star or five stars. So yeah. <laughs> um, this is just my tendency. So okay, I give it a little bit of credit for its depiction of uh, depression, trauma, and privilege, deta- detachment, avoidance, and I did get a little bit of a giggle out of the some of the moments with the psychiatrist. Um, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of the novel was just trying to shock the audience for the sake of it. And again, like this might've been on purpose. Uh, There was one line I wrote down or highlighted in my Kindle, I guess, technically um, talking about the performance artist, who's one of the secondary characters in the book um, where is he a performance artist? I don't know. Mm. The artist. Yeah. (laughs) Shock, shock artist. Um, Yeah. He wasn't interested in understanding himself or evolving. He just wanted to shock people and he wanted people to love and despise him for it. His audience, of course, would never truly be shocked. People were only delighted at his concepts. He was an art world hack, but he was successful. He knew how to operate. And there's a later line of maybe they understood, in fact, that beauty and meaning had nothing to do with one another. So I guess it's the point of the book that (laughs) there is no point. um, That's just shocking for the sake of it. So very meta, well done, I guess, but it's just not for me. <laughs> that's, the, yeah. that's the end of it. Yeah. How about you? <laughs> I think I'm sort of the opposite of you in that I can go extreme with my ratings, <laughs> so I'm quite more generous with my five stars, but I give this one a one out of five stars. I did not like it. Like, Yes, you know what? If it was intentional... This book was not for me, and I'm happy to admit that. Mm. You know, um, like I said, I would have DNF'd this at multiple points of the book if I didn't have to have an informed opinion about it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, I think I'm a bit different. I am more, I don't know if idealistic is the word, but I like being able to relate to characters. Yeah. And yeah, they don't, I don't think that characters have to be likable, but I think they have to be compelling in some ways. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And we've spoken about this off mic, but I kept comparing this to Yellowface by RF Kuang because Mm -hmm. we both had just finished reading that before we started this book. And 
I really loved Yellowface. I gave that one a five star. So, <laughs> you know. I loved it too. It's so good. Everyone go out and read Yellowface. Yes. Um, and the main character is also really unlikable. Like it was really hard to read what she was doing at different points. And I think I've messaged you in our book club that I literally had to put the book down because I was cringing so hard at something. <laughs> but that was the only thing that kept, you know, that gave me pause about the book. Other than that, I I wanted to know and I wanted to follow this character, even though she did not grow as a character. <laughs> you know, she just kept repeating the same mistakes. Um, but there was a narrative arc to it. Yeah. And yeah. I guess... The narrative arc also, I don't know if this is just me and I like a sense of justice in the story. <laughs> it just sort of, that that arc made sense. Whereas here, I'm like, I got to the end and I was like, what was the point of all this? Um, and again, if, like you said, if the point is that there is no point, well, again, not the book for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's not I, why I engage with art. That's not why I engage with literature. You know? exactly i read yeah. it for the characters and i wouldn't have minded a character driven book if the characters were interesting and i also want to say i saw this quote from a review on goodreads that linked to the guardian's piece about this author's other novel eileen and this is the quote when i asked mosvek about the reception of the novel she rails against those who want to know in this juicy way why i have written such an unlikable character I just want to say, how dare you? We live in a world in which mass murderers are re-elected, she says. Yet it's an unlikable female character that is found to be offensive. <clears throat> it's sexist and idiotic. I just would like to say I would have disliked this book as well if the MC was a man. <laughs> it's not about the gender. It's about the character. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's anti-feminist of us no. to dislike this book i think our feminist values have been demonstrated in this podcast so far yeah. so if you're questioning <laughs> us maybe go back and listen to some of our episodes exactly i really struggle with this portrayal of someone who clearly has a lot of trauma and who is struggling with major depression as someone who is absolutely nasty mm. like i think a lot of I can't remember which book we talked about this in, but being in the head of someone who is depressed is really difficult. And it's just, it's not easy to live with, but it doesn't make you a cruel person. You know, someone with depression might be a bit more self-focused because that's what, you know, your capacity is quite reduced when you have depression. And it can give you a negative filter as well. And mm. sometimes if you're going through a period of depression, you might be, or, you know, or a lot of mental health concerns, really, like you might be yeah. not ha have relationships with people in the same way, like your interpersonal style might be yeah. effective, but that's different to the level of nastiness that the MC experiences. Yes. And you know how we talked about Riva and Riva was the only one sustaining the friendship. It can happen when one person in that friendship goes through a difficult mental health period where the other friend has to put in a lot more effort to keep the friendship mm -hmm. going and that's not you know I guess the fear of someone with depression or anxiety is that oh my god my friends hate me and they all think I'm abandoning them when really I don't have the capacity 
to nourish this friendship right now, but please stay around. Yeah. Um, but that's not what's going on here, I don't think. I think the MC is just keeping Riva around because Riva is good for her self-esteem or that because Riva just doesn't go away, like I said before. And it's not, I don't know, I don't get the sense that this dynamic that we see on page is contained to the periods of depression. Yeah, I agree. And I, yeah, and I think I really struggle with that because this could have been a good opportunity to portray how someone with depression is that you know the depression is not the person and that they could still be you know kind and appreciate other people or that even with all the trauma and the attachment difficulty there's still room to grow yeah and I just feel like it's a miss it's a huge hugely missed opportunity in that way well I do think you know, the MC probably does have more going on than depression. Like there might be, mm. and I, I don't want to get all like armchair diagnosis-y on this, yeah. but, you know, there's definitely like antisocial personality traits going on, for example, mm. and some stuff in like the interpersonal style that she has that goes mm. beyond, I guess, just yeah. like a chronic, like a dysthymia kind of chronic experience of depression. But again, I just feel like that isn't really drawn out enough for yeah. us to get a full empathetic picture of this person. It's just there for shock value. It's just yeah. there for to make the reader go, wow, this is a horrible person. How fascinating. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like even if it's not personality disorders, you know, there's definitely complex trauma and like yeah. on, ongoing in some capacity. And yeah, it just could have been done better instead of just in a shocking way. I agree. Yeah, okay. this is this is gonna be a dangerous book club meeting. Hopefully, <laughs> with, our, <laughs> with our um other book club. Oh no. Yes. <sighs> All right. Well, the spice has gone up to medium. <laughs> I think. What, what is the so, Nando's rating? <laughs> I feel like it goes hot and then extra hot. Okay, let's go into our spoiler section and go up the spice level yes. one to three points more. <laughs> How about we start with chatting about Infermiterol? Yes, so Infermiterol... I think that's how you say it. It's a made-up drug, so we don't know how to say it. <laughs> it is how you say it because I listened to the audiobook. <laughs> All right, good. Good to know. <laughs> um, okay, so this is a drug that Dr. Tuttle prescribes reasonably early, actually, in the treatment um, that the MC takes and causes her to sleep slash have amnesia. So she's awake for periods of it, but has no memory of what happens for yeah. was it 23 hours a day I feel like it was yeah. something, something like that. significant yeah a really significant portion of time mm-hmm. um and so earlier in the book she takes it occasionally and sort of goes through a period where she takes it a bit but it scares her and she doesn't really mm-hmm. like it she wants more of the classic you know yeah knock me out kind of hibernation rather than doing bizarre things while she's sleepwalking type yeah. of hibernation yeah Um, But by the end, she decides that her strategy was not really working. So let's go full on with the infirmiterol, where she ends up passing six months by very quickly as a result, um, whilst giving herself over to 
the artist to do what he wants with her during that time with very few boundaries set. Yeah. Which is an interesting twist. <laughs> yeah, I think the infermiterol also kind of quote unquote ruins her for other medication. So I think that was part of the reason that she sort of gave in to the infermiterol because nothing else was kind of working to the capacity that she wanted. Well she would have had very high tolerance by that point. Yeah. But yeah, initially I found those sections of what sleepwalking or amnesia really interesting because I was like, oh, is this the part where we would get a glimpse into her subconscious and, you know, the person that she would be without any inhibitions, I suppose. But then I was let down by, by how she just became a muse for art instead of I don't know, some, something <laughs> more meaningful. Not that being amused for art is not meaningful, I guess, but you know. But we've established that his art was not meaningful. That That's true. It's just, yeah. it's just shock value. That's <laughs> like right there in the, like she doesn't think his art is meaningful either. It's pretty much just an arrangement so that I guess someone checks in on her and yeah. keeps her alive during that period. But that's... That's about all there is to it, really. Um, I did find that, so this once we got to this section, the pacing changed a bit. So mm. it did sort of pick up for me in terms of readability, but yeah. mostly because I was like, oh, something's happening. I want to know where this goes because um, there'd been so little plot throughout the novel. So in that mm. sense, I did find this part a bit more interesting. But, yeah, I don't know. It's very extreme, of course. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, I I thought it was interesting because in after Reva's mother died, she went on this infermiteral-induced trip, train trip, because she was initially not going to go to Reva's mom's funeral, mm. or she was planning not to. And then she woke up and found herself on the train with a bouquet of flowers for Reva. And and I thought, and that was when I was like, oh, you know, she actually cares for Reva because she did this you know, again, when she didn't have any conscious thought. But yeah, and then six months went by without anything particularly meaningful happening. Yeah, I don't know if there's any meaning behind anything that she does during her infamous Yeah, I know. Amnesia, it's, it's just I was just like, <laughs> I was just like, what, using a binocular or a microscope yeah. trying to find any shred of... <laughs> the shred of <laughs> meaning in this... <laughs> So the most annoying thing about this for me was the fact that the MC's year of avoidance and more specifically the six months of avoidance actually seemed to have worked. So she feels better, reset, more alive, sees beauty in the world, has the rest of her future ahead of her, and she literally says my sleep had worked. So, hmm, why is this bothering us? Why why would you say that? Uh... (laughs) It it annoys me so much because the amount of time I say to, you know, my clients, you can't avoid your problems and avoidance feeds into your anxiety because the problem then just gets bigger or you make it bigger and, you know, the anxiety gets bigger in your mind. Mm-hmm. So avoidance should not work. <laughs> it just, and also, you know, she learned nothing. Yeah. She slept for six months or a year. 
and didn't do what is she meant to be better at relationships now suddenly she's meant to be better at like knowing what she's feeling or like regulating how she feels is her mood restored is yeah she no longer feeling numb like Mm. maybe but like all of the stuff behind that still exists she didn't go through any kind of transformative cognitive process no (laughs) and is this like you know it's uh it's she makes it seem like it's this is this is it like this is the happily for now sort of thing when really she's probably just she's still avoiding the problems like she hasn't seen trevor in that in that last bit of the book mm-hmm. we don't know what happens when she attempts to have actual human relationship again you know or work you know have any kind of stressors in her life so but she's probably got enough privilege to get through them yeah more prescription medication or some other form of avoidance that she might lean on i guess yeah so i guess like we've established there's no point to this story but (laughs) if there was what we're this is why i said the narrative arc doesn't make sense because what what are we supposed to learn from this just be rich enough so that you can sleep for a year and then all your problem will go away. Mm-hmm. I guess so. I mean, if, if she had, if it hadn't worked for her, like if things had gotten worse, mm-hmm. um, maybe I would have felt a bit better about the ending. Like it doesn't necessarily mean the character needs to be punished, but mm-hmm. I feel like the logical sequence of events has to make sense. I've been reading about um, something called narrative transportation today as part of my thesis writing, mm-hmm. which is basically about how, engaged you are in a story and Mm. all the things that contribute to why you're engaged in a story and one of the important considerations is plausibility and credibility so if you don't find something to be plausible you're going to do what we're doing which is counter argue which is find the logical flaws in it and not feel an emotional attachment to the story so Mm. yeah yeah (sighs) and i know it's i feel personally like this flies in the face of the work that I do. So <laughs> and, and you know, I'm not it, offended is not the right word, but it's exactly why I'm arguing this and it's ex, it's exactly why I don't it doesn't make sense. This is not evidence-based. <laughs> yeah. And it's just I agree. I think she doesn't need to be punished, so to speak, but if there was just any hints that this relief is temporary, and her sleep hasn't just magically fixed her problems. That would have been better. I agree. Mm. But I think, yeah, that ending gets worse. Oh, yeah. So look, if you're in this section of the podcast, you've probably spoiled about what happens. But yeah, I mean, it ends on um, (sighs) 9-11, which is a lot. So it ends with Reva's death um, at the World Trade Center. This was heavily foreshadowed throughout the book. Mm. Uh, as soon as it was set in 2001 in New York, I'm like, is this where it's going? And then they mentioned that Reva and Trevor both worked at the World Trade mm. Center. I'm like, oh, God, is this where it's going? How is this going to link into the narrative? Um, yeah, as you would expect. Uh, yep, so the book ends on 9-11, Reva dies, and... Yeah. Oh, there's a quote. <laughs> there's a quote. All right. 
I can read it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Each time I see the woman leap off the 78th floor of the North Tower, I am overcome by awe. Not because she looks like Riva, and I think it's her, almost exactly her. And not because Riva and I had been friends, or because I'll never see her again, but because she is beautiful. Here she is, a human being, diving into the unknown, and she is wide awake. Ugh. I, I, I hate it. I screaming. It. Screaming. <laughs> I just... Why? It's... Hmm. I think I messaged you and I was like, this is horrible. Like, what is the... Like, again, why would you compare the, the MC story to one of the most tragic things that have happened in recent history? Yeah. So, like, what is it supposed to indicate? So... Either we're supposed to agree with the MC that you're the most alive when you have to make a horrendous choice, which is gross because yeah. you should not be applying that to a tragedy like 9-11 mm. and, or you're not meant to agree with her and you're supposed to understand that the MC is so self-centered that she takes away something positive like this from 9-11, in which case still gross. Like, yeah. Because it feels like it was set in this time period just so it will end on this tra- tragedy mm. so that it can have this ending. Yeah. And there are so many other ways to say you can be wide awake in other settings. You know, you can dive into the unknown in some other ways. Yeah. You could go overseas. <laughs> you know, pick up your entire life and start over and you can feel wide awake then. Why? Like, and it's even worse because this is her best friend, right? Or it's mm-hmm. supposed to be Reva or it looks like Reva and she has this reaction. Hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's not... <sighs> I hate to use the term like a normal grief reaction, because there is no such thing as a normal grief reaction. Yeah. But this is so wildly outside of what a person would feel at, yeah. and a, at a human being. Yeah. A fully formed three-dimensional character would feel if they witnessed their friend dying in this kind of tragedy. That it just, again, if we are not supposed to agree with the MC, mm. if we are meant to look at this as being a very self-centered moment, it makes her so outlandishly cartoonish that I cannot take it seriously as an ending. Mm. Yeah. And also it doesn't help that earlier in the book, the MC, you know, she woke up, could not find any of her medications. And because Reva had been in the apartment the night before, immediately flew into a rage about how Reva was trying to save her by confiscating all of her medications she went into Reva's apartment, like called her and was like saying really horrible things and had this, there was this line about how if she, she was saying if she walked into this apartment and found Reva's body, she would have just walked out. Mm-hmm. That was one of the points where I would have DNF because I was like, this is horrible. And also I have stopped relating to this, to this character completely. But then so it feels like this just highlights how callous she is. Mm-hmm. And again, is that the point? It's meant to be a point and ending, but it it's not that. 
Maybe my two stars should go down. (laughs) (laughs) By the end of this, like, no stars. (laughs) Yeah, there's all those, like, Amazon comments or Goodreads comments or anything with a five-star rating where the minimum rating is one star. There's always a bunch of comments that are like, should have been no stars. (laughs) I'd give this less than one star if I could. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, so we didn't like the book. Um, We normally have a favorite moments section here. Mm -hmm which is tricky today. <laughs> I did write yeah. down, um, I, there, I did write down one interaction, which made me mildly amused. Um, when Dr. Tuttle said to the MC meditation has been known to cure insomnia in rats. And a few paragraphs later, the MC asked, how did they teach the rats to meditate? Mm. See, was even funny. now I'm not like laughing at it again. I'm just like, yeah, that was mildly amusing at best. And that was, yeah. about, that was about all yeah i've got nothing (laughs) a very brief favorite moment section for today yes yeah i'm like a part of me is like oh you're being too harsh but i'm also like nah we just talked about the worst ending (laughs) Uh, yeah okay yeah all right shall we talk about our book club discussion questions then that we finish our review Alright, so we are going to post some questions to our website over the next couple of weeks. So if you've read the book, please join in the discussion by leaving a comment on our show notes, on our blog post, or on Instagram. So question one, does a novel have to involve meaningful character growth for you to feel invested? Question two, the MC is obviously meant to be written as an unlikable character. How can an author write an unlikable character? but keep readers engaged in the narrative. And question three, overall, did the book make you think differently about prescription drug use? We'll also post some mental health related resources on our show notes as per usual. So some of the resources we'll link to include information about depression, prescription drug use, and a little bit about how to tell a good mental health professional apart from a bad one. Just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) And we've come to the announcement section of our episode. Let's find out what our November book is. Drum roll. It is Girl in Pieces by Kathleen Glasgow. A little bit about Girl in Pieces. Charlotte Davis is in pieces. At 17, she's already lost more than most people do in a lifetime, but she's learned how to forget. The broken glass washes away the sorrow until there's nothing but calm. You don't have to think about your father and the river, your best friend who's gone forever, or your mother who has nothing left to give you. A deeply moving portrait of a girl in a world that owes her nothing and has taken so much, and the journey she undergoes to put herself back together. So why did we choose this book? Okay, so this was my suggestion. Mm-hmm. Neither of us have read it yet, but I've heard this book mentioned several times at work by a few teenagers. Mm-hmm. And whenever you know that comes up, I'm always like half intrigued, half alarmed. Like, you know, <laughs> I really hope this is a, like a good representation. But people who have mentioned this book to me have found it to be quite valuable or validating for them. Um, so I am curious about its depiction of self harm, and hopefully, we'll find that it's been done in a responsible way. Yeah. I've seen some writing that's uh, compared this to Girl Interrupted, which is one of the, I guess, most well-known 
books about, I guess, like inpatient treatment and young women in crisis, mm. I guess, to put it really broadly. So another book I haven't read, but I've watched the movie multiple times. Yeah. So <laughs> I'd be very curious to compare those two storylines and see if this is the modern girl interrupted, like some people have said. Okay. I have not seen or read Girl Interrupted, so maybe I should <laughs> I do used that. to I used to love that movie, but I haven't watched it since becoming a psychologist, so I cannot comment on mm. how good, quote unquote good it is anymore. <laughs> Bonus episode incoming. <laughs> <laughs> But that wraps us up for today. Thank you so much for listening to this uh, spicy. <laughs> Extra hot episode. spicy review. <laughs> <laughs> if you like us, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find us, as always, on novelfeelings.com or on Instagram, Twitter, The Storygraph, and Goodreads at novel underscore feelings. You can also find my bookstagram at paved with books with an extra S. I've been working overtime, guys. It's it's dead again. <laughs> it will be alive. It will rise from the dead. It always does. Yes. It's just the cycle. The phoenix. It's the cycle of the phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Hope we can catch you in November for Girl in Pieces. See you later. See ya.